I love going to weddings. I love the food. I love the speeches. But I don't like the bit when we have to go dancing because I don't know what to do with my hands. Like if I move them around, well, that looks like dad dancing because I am a dad dancing. If I cross them, well, that's just weird. If I put them in my pockets, that's just wrong. What do I do with my hands when I dance? And see, the whole problem is for my whole life, I've been told to be calm and sensible. But for this moment, I'm now meant to lose it. And that's what Jesus feels like to us. Because we've been told our whole life to be calm and sensible. But Jesus asks us to believe that he's the son of God, born from a virgin, dies on a cross, rises again, back to life three days later. And when it was life, he made blind people see again. What am I meant to do with that? So what would Jesus say to me, the calm and sensible? Welcome again to our February series of talks where we ask this question, what would Jesus say? And each week, Jesus meets a different person in the Bible. And we ask the question, what would Jesus say to this person? And what would Jesus say to me today? And this comes in the form of a 20-minute talk from me now, followed by some question and answer from you guys. So as I'm talking, think of any question that you might want to ask me and text it to that number on the screen, and we'll do our best to try to answer that question. Well, today is week four, the final one in the series, and our question is this, what would Jesus say to the calm and sensible. Because in that Bible story that we just read, Jesus meets a person who is told to be calm and sensible. Then they, Jesus and his followers, came to Jericho. And Jesus and his followers, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, a blind man called Bartimaeus, which means the son of Timaeus. This blind man was sitting by the roadside begging when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him. They told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus meets a blind man, a beggar. And when this man realizes Jesus is coming along the way, he shouts out to Jesus and everyone tells him to calm down. Just be sensible. But he shouts out all the more. And this is part of the story I don't get. Because I hate it when people are loud. I don't like it when people talk in a library. I don't like it when people talk on a train. I don't like it when people talk in a movie. Why can't this guy just be calm and sensible? Well, to find out, we're going to have to hear the three things Jesus says to this man and the three things that Jesus says to us today. The first thing is this. You know what? We do need to be calm and sensible. Many rebuked this man and they told him to be quiet. They're telling him to be calm and sensible. It's not like Jesus is going to heal you, is he? Let's just be calm and sensible. I used to run the City Surf every year. It was a lot of fun when I was young because every year my times just got faster and faster. Then I hit an age where it stopped being fun. Because every year my times got slower and slower. And, you know, first I got passed by women and children. That was sort of okay. But then I got to the stage where people in fancy dress used to pass me. So I've been passed by a caveman. I've been passed by Batman. And I've been passed by the fairy godmother. Now, how do I know it wasn't a real fairy godmother and not a person dressed up as a fairy godmother? 
because I'm a doctor, all right? I'm a scientist. I believe in evidence-based thinking. I'm rational. I don't believe in fairy godmothers. I don't believe in leprechauns or unicorns. Like, if you say to me, you're having a heart attack, my first thing as a doctor is I want evidence you're having a heart attack. I say, prove it. Give me a blood test. Give me an x-ray. Give me an ECG. Prove it. I won't take your word for it. I need evidence. I need truth. I need facts. See, I'm a scientist and I love science. Science has given us the motor car. It's given us the microwave. It's given us the mobile phone. We need to stay calm and sensible. But the second thing that Jesus says is this. We can also be open to miracles. We can also believe in miracles. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked the blind man. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. Jesus performs a miracle. What am I meant to do with this as a scientist? See, Science tells me that a bowling ball will fall to the ground at 9.8 metres per second squared. It's called gravity. Science tells me that all things being equal at sea level, water will boil at 100 degrees Celsius. And science tells me that a blind man will not see again. So what am I meant to do with this? This is John Lennox in his book, Can Science Explain Everything? John Lennox, as you may know, has a PhD in maths. He teaches at Oxford University in the UK. And John Lennox uses this example from C.S. Lewis. Let's say we go to a hotel and the first night we put $100 in the bedside drawer in the hotel we're staying in. The next night we put in another $100 in the same bedside drawer. And then the next night we put in another $100 in the same bedside drawer. And the next night we go to open the bedside drawer and we find nothing in there. What do I conclude? Do I conclude that the law of mathematics have been broken? No, I conclude a thief has broken into my room. And it's because I believe in the law of mathematics, I conclude a thief has come in. If I didn't believe in the law of mathematics, I think, oh, of course there's no money here. 100 plus 100 plus 100 equals zero. Yeah, that happens all the time. No, it's because I believe in the law of mathematics. I conclude someone has broken and entered into my room. The room is open. It's not a closed system. Science says all things being equal, water should boil at 100 degrees Celsius. So when my water does not boil at 100 degrees Celsius, I don't conclude the laws of science have been broken. Instead, I conclude all things are not equal. Someone else has come, maybe added some sugar to my water, but it's not a closed system. It's open to interference. When a blind man sees again... As a scientist, I don't conclude that the laws of science have been broken. I conclude that Jesus, the Son of God, God has broken and entered into my universe. It's an open universe. All things are not equal. It's because I believe in the laws of science, I also can believe in miracles. Blind people do not see again. So when a blind person does see again, I conclude all things are not equal and a God has entered my universe. Studies consistently show that 40% of scientists believe in a supernatural, personal God who performs miracles. 
See, we can be scientists and we can be Christians at the same time. In fact, it's because as a scientist, I believe that the universe is ordered. I also believe this is because there's an ordered God behind the ordered universe. That's why the universe is ordered. And because I believe there's an ordered God behind the universe, this God is also free to break and enter into this universe and do what he wants. All things are not equal. If this God can create a universe out of nothing, if this God can bring life out of non-life, that is no big thing for him to make a blind man see again. So I can be open to miracles, but why would I want to believe in the existence of God anyway? Well, this brings me to the third thing that we learn from the story, and it's this. Because we also believe in love. We also believe in love. When he heard, when the blind man heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This man believes in mercy. He believes in love and he believes in justice. See, science is good for explaining a lot of things, but it's not good for explaining everything. See, when this man calls out for mercy and love, as a scientist, what do I say to him? Do you want a kilogram of mercy? Do you want a litre of love? No, because they're the wrong measurements. There's so much more to this world than what science can give us. So when I come home and my wife says she loves me, what do I do? Well, as a doctor, do I say, prove it. Give me a test. I'm not going to take your word for it. I want a blood test. I want a chest x-ray and I want an ECG. Prove it. No, I don't do that because there's so many things we believe that science can't prove for us. There's so much more to this world than what science can give us. Now, who here believes this statement? It is wrong for a husband to, bu for a husband to bully his wife. All right. Again, I know we're private emotion people, but let's be public emotion today. Okay. Who here believes it's wrong for a husband to bully his wife? All right. Majority opinion. Good, good to see. Who here believes a human being has intrinsic value regardless of their age, race or ability to work? All right. Majority opinion. All right. Final one. It is good to be generous to those less fortunate than us. Who here believes that? Wow. Majority opinion. So most of us take these to be absolute truths. Truths that are so self-evidently true. That's what we take them as. But science can't prove any one of these statements. They're non-scientific statements. So there's so much more to this world that we believe to be true, that we believe to be real, which science cannot give us. There's more to this world than what science can give us. There are more explanations than what science can give us. And I'm getting this one from John Lennox. Let's say water is boiling at 100 degrees Celsius. Why? Please explain well, there are many levels of explanation. We can explain it at the level of the physical agent. Wow, it's heat being applied to water molecules. And that's a scientific explanation for why water is boiling 100 degrees Celsius. But there are also other explanations. There's a personal agent. It's my Auntie Irene. Uh, physical reason. Well, she's trying to make me tea. And there's a personal reason because she loves me. And science can't give me any of those other explanations. Science can only give us the thin explanation, but not the thick explanation. We've just read that a blind man can see again. Why? 
please explain. Well, at a thin level explanation, we have the physical agent. I can scientifically say, well, the optic nerve has been restored. But there's so much more to this story. There's a personal agent, Jesus. There's a physical reason. He wants the man to see again. And there's a personal reason. Jesus loves the man. The man appeals for mercy. There's so much more to this world than what science can give us. And we believe so much more than what what science can prove to us. In this story, a blind man sees what everyone else cannot see. A blind man sees that this is an open universe where there's a God who loves us, a God who made us, and there's a God who saves us. And there's a God who sends us his son Jesus, the son of God, to die on a cross for us, to rise from the dead. And now he lives for us and we can live for him. The Bible doesn't just ask us to believe that there's a God. That's easy. The Bible doesn't just ask us to believe there's a God of miracles. Again, that's easy. The Bible asks us to believe that there's a God who loves us. And a blind man could see this. And this is what Jesus now asks us also to believe. So our question today was this. What would Jesus say to the calm and sensible And we've heard three things. Number one, we do need to be calm and sensible. Otherwise, we just believe in anything. But at the same time, this is an open universe. And we're open to a God who breaks in and enters and performs miracles. And why would this God do this? Because number three, we also believe in a God who loves us. Now, what do we see on this screen here? Now, for most agents, ah, this is taking us back to theory exams and, oh, my gosh. Funny thing about theory exams, I used to get 100% in my theory exams in music because I treated it like maths, science, bulk memorization. I was really good at it. I used to get zero in the oral component because I couldn't hear what they were trying to get me to hear. But that's the thing. If all I see is black dots on a white background, that's a scientific explanation. But I've missed the point because I haven't heard the music and I haven't enjoyed the performer. And if all we see in this universe is atoms and molecules, we've missed the point. We can't hear the music. We don't see the awe, the wonder and the majesty of the God who's behind this. There's a performance to enjoy and as a performer that we can know personally. Well, we, we had another awesome talk today. Um, this has been such a great series Thanks. of yeah. Feb Talks. Um, wow, I think every year you just keep outdoing it, setting the bar even higher. Right, so, okay. I keep um, digging a hole deeper and deeper <laughs> for myself. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, what would Jesus say to the calm and sensible? We do have some questions. Sure. Um, so the claim that there is a God and that yep. Jesus is God is a big claim that affects our life in a significant way. If I'm still looking for more facts, evidence, data to validate this, what would you give me? Yeah, so the Bible asks us not to just believe that there is a God. And often we think of God, we think of some vague abstract sort of spiritual thing but the beauty of the bible it's asking us to believe in a concrete 
personal reality. Again, I'm short. I, I have to stand here. I, I can't see the back half of the room and they can't see me. So the way I explain it is, you know, um, let's say I go to the flower shop and I repent of my sins because I can count on five fingers how many times I bought flowers for my wife. We've been married for 22 years. I don't understand flowers. Um, for me, it's like I get a $50 note. I show it to my wife. This is a show I love you, and then I just flush it down the toilet and watch it go because that's what buying flowers feels like to me. Here's 50 bucks worth of flowers. Now let's just watch them die slowly in front of us. You know, we could have bought something else with that 50 bucks. And let's say I go to the flower shop and I say, hey, um, you know, I want flowers. And the lady says, well, what do you want, red ones, yellow ones? I go, ah, red, yellow, they're all the same. She goes, do you want roses, tulips? Ah, roses, tulips, they're all the same. Do you want one or do you want a bunch? I go, ah, oh, one, a bunch, they're all the same. What's she going to give me? She actually can't give me a flower because I've only described the vague, abstract notion of flowerness but not a real actual flower. It's the same with God. We say, okay, how can I know if there's a God? What's his God like? Oh, one God, many gods, all the same. Uh, what do you believe? want me to believe in reincarnation or resurrection? Ah, reincarnation, resurrection, all the same. Well, what's his God's name? Is it Buddha, Muhammad or Jesus? Ah, oh, Buddha, Muhammad, Jesus, all the same. Well, which God are we talking about? We're actually not talking about a real God. We're only talking about the abstract notion of a God, but there's no real God to know. But if we want God to be real, loving and personal and knowable, then we have to get the facts right about this God. The facts matter. Uh, and the facts matter so much. He comes in the person of Jesus. Again, it's like my wife. You say to, to me, do you know your wife? I go, oh, yeah, her name's Eric. She's a Viking. She was born in Helsinki and she juggles fish. You'd be going... I don't think you know your wife because you got all the facts wrong. But if I said to you, her name's Stephanie, she was born in Sydney, she went to the University of Sydney, you'd be going, okay, you know your wife, you got the facts right. If we're to know God, we have to get the facts right and the facts matter so much. Jesus comes to be the word, to give us those facts. And, and there's only one way to this God and that's why Jesus has to die on a cross. It's only a loving act because there's no other way to this God. So in answer to the question, how do I know if this God is Jesus? Questions impossible to answer in the abstract. They have to be answered in the concrete. If I was to say, oh, how much is a Big Mac and McDonald's? I don't know. I would never know. Is it $3, $5, $7? Go to McDonald's and pay for Big Mac. And that's how you find out. When the lecturer says there'll be an English exam next Monday at 9am, oh, oh, how do I know? It's so abstract. So I know. No, you know. You know by turning up and the English exam will be next Monday at 9am. How do I know if this God is Jesus or not? We cannot answer that in the abstract, but we will know if we just call on his name. That's a big claim in the Bible. How do I follow Jesus? The Bible says it's simple, just call on his name and you'll be saved. And that's what the blind man did. He just called on the name of Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on me. And bit by bit, things start making sense. So scientific explanations exist. Because science, science is actually an inductive method. Maths is a deductive me method. Maths can give us 100% proof with absolute certainty because it's deductive. It's going from truth to truth to truth. Every other discipline, geography, history, economics, and science is inductive. It goes the other way. Here's something, here's something, here's something. Now I have to form a theory that explains. So science actually doesn't prove 
Science just tries to give us the explanation of best fit. What best fits what I see? What best fits what I know? What best fits my experiences? What best fits what trusted people that I know and love tell me? And bit by bit you start realising Jesus being the Son of God is the explanation of best fit for what I know, for what I experience, what trusted people tell me. Mm. Yeah, so that's super helpful. So we have to actually look at the specifics of history yeah. and go, well, look at the facts of Jesus' mm. life. But we need to go beyond that and we actually need to actually call on his name for ourselves. Yeah. And it, it can only be known through that personal experience. Yeah, because, go in, on, I'm in, cutting you off. No, I'm sorry. Right. In doing that, um, it's actually uh, like a scientific method that you're actually yeah. looking at the facts, evidence, and data. You've got an explanation of best fit, and you're proceeding on the logical course of tr yeah. um, testing that out. And then we're having to go beyond what science and history and law can tell us, because a legal claim is I'm innocent of this crime. A historical claim is World War II ended in 1945. A scientific claim is water boils 100 degrees Celsius. Where do you put this claim? I cook a good pancake. That's not scientific, it's not historical, it's not legal. It's actually a relational, experiential claim. I cook a good pancake because I love you. You actually have to eat the pancake and know me to, to prove that claim. And so when it says Jesus died on a cross and rose again back to life to save you because he loves you, it's sort of historical. There's historical evidence. It's sort of a legal claim that we have to prove with eyewitnesses, but it goes beyond that. It's an experiential relational claim that we can only prove by experiencing Jesus for ourselves. Mm. Yeah, it's super helpful. And I love how you have on the slides there those different layers yeah. of... Uh, Explanation. Of, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, well, next question. Sure. These questions are kind of following up on that and thinking about um, being calm and sensible um, versus uh, being not so calm. As yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, um, here we go. Uh, now that we know about Jesus, we can be excited, question mark, question mark. And um, sometimes we need to be more calm and sensible. Other times we can be overly restricted by expectations of staying calm. How do you gauge which way to go? So two questions about sure. this kind of um, excitement, I guess it, Enthusiasm, passion, or calm and sensible. Yeah, everything's that Goldilocks just right. You know, what Aristotle called the golden meme, mean. So not too cold, not too hot. What's just right? So how can I be calm, rational, sensible, but also be appropriate, exuberant, and excited? And I think what it comes down to, we've got to be calm and sensible. I think the Bible says there's a healthy doubt we can have, all right? We should all go through life with a healthy doubt, but when we have seen and experienced Jesus for ourselves, there's a natural joy that comes out of it. Um, just do a word search for joy in the Bible. I'm surprised how much joy there is in the Bible. There's Zacchaeus comes down from the tree to welcome Jesus into his home with joy. And in the Greek, it's this uh, ongoing tense. He keeps on rejoicing. So happiness is shallow because it's an emotion that comes and goes. But joy is something that comes out of a real fact. So the facts matter. I'm calm and sensible. Jesus is the son of God. He dies. He loves me. 
But there's a joy that should come out of that. And if I said to you, I've been married to my wife Stephanie for 22 years and there's no joy, you guys would be horrified. You go, whoa. So I can't say, oh yeah, Jesus died, he saves me, I live for him, he lives for me, and there's no joy. You go, I don't think you understand the facts. Because if you got these facts right, there would be this joy that's inescapable. Um, and I love how last year we went through the book of Hebrews. And I'm always learning something new when you guys preach. And I thought I knew this passage, but I obviously didn't. In Hebrews 12, it says we come to the real Mount Zion. So the Israelites in Old Testament, yeah, they went to the Mount Zion. There was fire, there was thunder, there was smoke, and it was scary. But it says now you come to the real Mount Zion. So now you think it's going to be more scary, more smoke, more fire. But it's the opposite. No, no, you just come confidently because Jesus has given us access to God and you're surrounded by thousands of angels in joy. So somehow there's this joy that comes out of our confident, calm and sensible access to God, the creator of the universe. Yeah, it's amazing how the like the objective reality and being in touch with the objective reality actually um, affects our emotions in positive ways. Yeah, right? yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so the next uh, um, questions are kind of miscellaneous. Um, should we expect miracles today? Should we expect miracles? So I could go calm and sensible. So, well, by definition, everything by God is a miracle. So just a sun rising every day is a miracle. Just water boiling at 100 degrees Celsius is a miracle. So just we shouldn't downplay the regular part because it's because there is an ordered God. My universe is ordered and repeatable. So that's a miracle. But at the same time, God likes to be in partnership with us. So somehow, someone says it's like God is a jazz musician. So you know classical music, the notes are written and you just play what's in front of you. But God is more jazz musician where, okay, I know the key, I know the time, I know the rhythm, but there's pl- time to, there's room to ad lib within the score, within the music. And God's more like a jazz musician. There's room for Adlib, and he wants us to be in partnership with him and to jam with him. And so he's opened us to to pray to him and ask for him to intervene every now and then. And I think there's room for miracles. But at the same time, let's be calm and sensible again. Uh, this seems like in the Bible there's just certain moments of clusters of miracles. It's not it's not like in the Bible there's miracles happening all the time anyway. They just seem to be clustered in certain key times, the time of Moses, the time of Elijah and Elisha, and the time of Jesus, that time. And it seems like no matter how spectacular the miracles were, the people still did not believe in Jesus. So somehow miracles, believe it or not, are just very non-convincing because we find a way to explain them away. Ah, that would have happened anyway or it's just a coincidence. So what I'm trying to say is the little things in life are miracles anyway, but God has opened us to to explore and pray for miracles like healings. But at the same time, miracles by themselves aren't very faith-affirming. They're less faith-affirming than we think they are. And the true miracle, the greatest miracle is, again, not that there's a God, not that there are miracles, but there's a God who loves us. And that's a unique claim of of Judeo-Christianity because in every other major world religion, it might say there are gods, uh, they're powerful, they will judge you. There's no other major world religion that says that this God loves you and actually cares for you.
Mm. Yeah, so thinking about miracles then we're mm. we're thinking yeah every little thing that happens god's at work in it yeah but these kind of big kind of uh um breaking in and and messing yeah. with the system kind of miracles yep. that we, where we see that wow something in the fundamental laws of the operation of the world some, something's changed here yeah um they happen in these key periods of time yep. yeah um and they god may do them or may not. So yeah. you kind of have to be open to them. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Open but cautious. Open but cautious. Yeah. Or yeah. cautious but open. <laughs> yeah. Depending which side of the line you want to be on. Nice. Nice. Okay. And um, our last question, unless any more have come through, I think this is our last one. Um, yeah. So what does mercy mean for yeah. us? Yeah. Wow. Does mercy well, mean for us? So mercy. On the one hand, for the blind man, it was a cry for justice, wasn't it? But justice is a double-edged sword. There are two sides to justice. Justice is giving people what's fair, what's owing to them. Uh, and sometimes, but that could also be retributive justice, being punished. And that's giving you what's owing to you. So sometimes mercy is God restoring justice. But sometimes for us, as we sang in a lot of those songs, it's God not giving us what we deserve, which in our case is the true, I guess, justice, punishment for our sin, our guilt, our shame, our dishonour. And so for us, God most shows little mercies in our day, like providing food, shelter and warmth, but the ultimate was Jesus dying on the cross in our place, taking our punishment for us, dying our death, and that's God's greatest love, act of love and mercy and justice all at once. Yeah, what, well, that's a great note to end on. All right, thank um, you very much. Thank you so much, Sam. Let's show our appreciation Thanks. to Sam.